Sasha. Hey, Courtney. So I made these chocolate peanut butter cookies today, Mm. and they're really good, and I keep eating them. And I kind of felt bad about it, but then I realized I made these calories. I'm basically their god, so I can do whatever I want. But what if some people want to apply that logic to children? I feel like that's only going to be Kronos. Ah! It's food power! Welcome back to Spoop Hour, a paranormal comedy podcast hosted by two Halloweenies. This is Sasha. This is Courtney. A little bit different with our dad joke in the beginning, in that it's a literal joke about a dad. <laughs> it's a dad joke. A dad joke. Also, that thing about the chocolate peanut butter cookies was real. I, I made no-bake chocolate peanut butter cookies, and I am, in fact, eating them. Do you want to send me that recipe? <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. Yes, please. Thank you. Because I was the other a couple weeks ago, Christy posted photos of like chocolate peanut butter, like no bake bars or something Mm. on Facebook. And I was like, what are what are those? I need them. Hello. Yes. Yeah. Hello. (laughs) Also, I'm going to go ahead and apologize because I'm an idiot. I so my laptop gets really hot when it charges. And so I have a cooling pad for it. Mm That makes a whooshy fan sound, and it was charging before we started recording. So then I turned the whooshy fan on, and I, I only remembered to turn it off like a minute ago. So you had two minutes of whooshing. So, sorry. <laughs> We're on social media at Spoop Hour on Twitter and Instagram. Mm-hmm. And you can email us at spoophour at gmail.com. Hey, Sasha, has anybody emailed us recently? <laughs> yes, one of our friends Whoa. in real life and listener of the Spoop Hour Yay. emailed us. So this is from our friend Teresa, who lives in Alaska. So this is Alaskan Spoop Part 2. And I'm so glad because I was like, of course, Teresa would know something, right? Yes. Like she would have something for us. Absolutely. This, so Teresa, hi, we love you. To my favorite Halloweenies, thank you so much for doing an Alaskan-themed episode. I loved it so much and definitely learned some new things about my weird state. For instance, my tap recital in May was supposed to take place at the Wendy Williamson Auditorium, so me and my... Oh, shit! So me and my long brunette hair dodged a ghost (laughs) bullet with that one. (laughs) Oh, my God. I didn't realize... So I did attend her virtual tap recital, which was really cute, and I loved it because I like watching people dance. Oh, my God. I can't believe Teresa was almost pushed down the stairs by an angry misogynist ghost. When you mentioned the baggage... A baggage? Yeah. I think that's how I said it. I don't remember. It's been like a week. The Begich Towers in Whittier, it got me thinking about yet another haunted building there called the Buckner Building. For a town so small, Ooh. they have a lot going on. 
I've only spent the night in Whitt- Whittier once. I'm not a firm believer in the supernatural, but I have never felt a stranger and darker presence than I did that evening. Ooh. First of all, the only way in and out of Whittier is through a tunnel that goes through the mountain. And it is one-way traffic that lets you through at specific times. If you miss the last time slot, you are trapped there for the night unless you have a boat. I already wasn't feeling great about the tunnel situation, but when we drove through and went to look at the Buckner building, my sense of unease only increased. It sits on a hill at the top of the town, looming over everything with its massive presence. For a bit of history, the Buckner Building was constructed during the Cold War to house over 1,000 soldiers. It was referred to as the city under one roof and even had a movie theater and bowling alley. Since the military sold the building, it has become more and more decrepit. It has no windows and doors, so there is standing water everywhere. And as you can imagine, the Alaskan elements have deteriorated a lot of the structure. It is covered in graffiti and is now a hangout for bears and adventurous teenagers. Oh my god, it has no windows or doors. Yikes. So just open and ugh. It's hard to convey just how large and creepy this place is, so I've included a few pictures. I know one thing for sure. If there's anywhere on Earth that is haunted, it's definitely this building, and I won't be spending any more nights in Whittier. Your number one Alaska fan, <laughs> Teresa. These buildings are so creepy. It reminds me of a little bit of, I think it's Stranger Things Season 2, that weird building lab thing. It looks like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these will be on the Instagram. They are upsetting, like, because... In the auditorium, I'm guessing it's rust, but it kind of looks mm-hmm. like blood on the seats. So it's very, very upsetting. upsetting. I don't I don't Mm-mm. care for it. Also, I forgot to read. We had another update. If you remember Cassie, owner of the very good yep. boy Drebin, whom mm-hmm. we love. Cassie, if you're listening to this, you haven't sent us a picture of Drebin in like <laughs> two weeks. So like, what gives? <laughs> <laughs> she emailed us to send us fluff salad recipes to try and also to say if you'll remember she sent in a story about her murder attic Uh where there were just a bunch of handprints on the entryway into her attic and she was like i don't know what the fuck this is but i don't like it well it was solved so their repair guy went up into the attic to check some wiring because our lights kept flickering my partner forgot to tell me until i freaked out over the crazy handprints he left behind that's so funny That is 100% what I would do, and that would be 100%. That's the that's what happened is just somebody went up into the attic for yeah. legit reasons. Yeah. <laughs> that's too so, bad. Thank you, Teresa and Cassie, yeah. for the updates and the spooky things. I love it. Has anything spooky happened to you this week? It, not really. Just bad bad dreams, and I'm very yeah. tired. <laughs> Aw. But oh, baby. Yeah. I don't know. None of my plants have died, even though it's been so hot. That's That's, so that's good. good. Yeah. Yeah, so no no plant ghosts yet. We love it. Yeah. How about you? I know that you I, sat on something and told me about it yesterday when we recorded BonCon, but you should bone cone. <laughs> tell me about it again. Uh, okay. It was so, so funny. I'll, I'll start with the legit scary thing, and then I'll talk about the thing that I manifested into existence that has brought so much joy into my life. So the legit scary thing, I've had a lot of run-ins with spiders lately. As we all know, I'm very afraid of spiders. And on... Thursday night? No, Wednesday night. I was getting ready for bed. And I came upstairs to go to bed. And as I turned the light on in my room, I saw a spider at the foot of my bed, like not in the bed, but on the floor in front of the bed. And as I turned on the light and went, oh, no, that's a spider. It scurried under the bed. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) And I was like, 100%, I'm not going to be able to sleep with this fucking spider under the bed because I'm going to be thinking about how it's going to crawl up the wall and then crawl on my face while I'm asleep. 
So you might I got down it. on my hands and knees, and I like brought out a flashlight, and I'm like looking under the bed. I'm looking under the bed. No sign of this fucking spider. Zelda's like, "What you doing, mom?" And I'm like, "God damn it! There's a fucking spider. I can't with you right now." <laughs> and I couldn't find it. And I looked for like 15 minutes under every inch of the bed, and I looked like there's stuff on my floor that I moved around in case, like, oh, is it under this piece of clothing? No. Is it next to the trash can? No. I don't know where that fucking spider went. And so after like 15 minutes of this, I gave up. And I moved something that crinkled like Zelda's treat bag. So then I felt bad. So I gave her some treats. And as I gave them to her, I told her, please consider this a down payment on eating that spider. Yeah. So I'm going to give you these on the understanding that you're going to hunt down that spider for me and kill and eat it because you're my cat. And that's what you do. And so I haven't seen it since. So maybe she ate it. Yeah. Or it's spider and it just like got in the walls or something. I'm going to tell myself she ate it. She ate it, yeah. Because <laughs> I have to sleep in this or, room. Or it went, oh, like it went away. It ventured somewhere yes. else because you spooked yes. it and it ran. Yeah. I or spooked it's it, so dead. It w- <laughs> it, here's what happened. <laughs> I spooked it, so it went up into the attic where it thought it was safe. But then the man living in the attic oh killed the spider for me. Okay. It's so, so funny. I think, uh, I, like, okay. I think by telling you this, you will never come over to my house again. But Absolutely not. No, I know you don't kill spiders. We don't kill spiders here. We just let them chill. And so mm-hmm. every once in a while, we do have like a very large spider and it just like runs around the wall, runs up the ceiling. And the interesting thing is of all the bugs that we ever have in our house, ants, flies, or like gnats or whatever that get in from the outside, spiders are the only thing Mona doesn't chirp at. Hmm. She will hunt down everything else. And she's a good hunter. Like she, I... This spring we had a little bit of a thing with ants, mm-hmm. and she was our little beast. Mm-hmm. But spiders, she'll like look at it on the wall, and she'll be like, "Yeah, okay," and then bother herself or busy herself with like the bugs that are outside flying around, and like punch the window mm-hmm. <laughs> at them. She's like, "Okay, I get it. We're good with the spiders. We're sh- we're chill." So I because they eat say. some other bugs, so that's why we're I'm, like they're actually useful on like I'm, gnats and flies. I'm well aware of the beneficial (laughs) impacts of having a spider in your home. Mm -hmm. I have a deal with spiders. I don't know if I've outlined it on the podcast (laughs) before, but I've definitely told you in real life. My deal with spiders is I don't go into their space (laughs) and they don't go into mine. Yeah. The second either of us breaks that understanding, the other one is allowed to try and kill it. So if I come across a spider in the wild... You bet your ass it's going to do its damnedest to kill me. I'm just much bigger than it, so it probably won't succeed. So you'll leave it alone. Yeah. So I'm like, my bad. I I won't fuck with you. But if I, like, walk through a spider web in the woods and a spider ends up on my face, it's probably going to try and bite me, which I res- I harbor no ill will. It's, it's agreeing. It agreed to our little <laughs> fragile detente, whatever. And so same deal. If a spider is in my house, but it's not in my personal space, so, like, if it's up in a corner where I can see it, mm-hmm. or when I was in high school, I had a spider that lived in my shower for so long because it was up in the high corner mm-hmm. and it wouldn't move. It lived up there so long that I named him. His <laughs> name was Dimitri. Okay. Eventually, I told my mom about Dimitri, and she felt bad because I'd named it, and she was like, it's not getting bugs in there. It's going to die. So she trapped it, and <laughs> she took Dimitri outside. <laughs> but good old Dimitri the spider. Yeah. But... So this is the deal that I have with spiders. So the second they violate that deal, I have to kill them because I'm like, look, bro, if I came into your web, you'd be trying to kill me too. Like, this is the deal we have struck. Your logic is sound. Thank you. We either live by this deal or we die by this deal. And in this case, we're going to die by it because you can't keep up with the details of this accord. Anyway, (laughs) yesterday, (laughs) 
<laughs> yesterday I, I did some yard work. About this. <laughs> yesterday I did some yard work. I had to trim our bushes down and I had to trim our tree. And I there were a couple spiders that I was just like, bro. I understand I am in your turf. I understand you're going to try and kill me. I respect you for it. I'm going to try not to fuck with you. So I would just, like, if they were on a branch, I would very carefully pick up the branch with my, like, clippers that I was using and put it in the discard pile and just leave it. Yeah. And then Mysterious Third Roommate helped me dump everything. So she was like, oh, there's a spider in this one. Don't worry. It's safely away now. And I'm like, great. So. Good. A couple spider run-ins. That's yeah. the spookiest thing that's happened to me is some so spiders So tell me about your magical I, powers because you're too powerful. Yes, I've become too powerful because I, so I really love the comedian Ashling B. If you haven't watched This Way Up, it's on Hulu. You absolutely should. It's really good. As we all know, there's another famous Irishman whom I deeply love. His name is Hosier. I love him dearly. Oh, really? So, <laughs> this is, I know this is the first time you're hearing of it. I definitely don't have a Hosier poster over my shoulder in my video chat shot. It's fine. <laughs> so... They both recently participated, it was announced they were going to participate in a comic relief fundraising effort for fighting coronavirus. And I was like, oh, amazing, I'm going to have to try and figure out a way to watch this and donate from the U.S. because obviously nothing is good in the United States, but, you know, sometimes you can access stuff from other countries, it's fine. So I was like, I'm going to have to find a way to watch it because I love both of them and I will look forward to whatever bits they do, assuming they would perform separately. Sure. But they did a bit and they pre-released a clip of it. They have since released the full clip, which I have watched, and it's just... Delightful. It's it's so much more than I could have ever dreamt <laughs> of. Courtney's but very happy. She's, like, glowing. Into... <laughs> I just love it. So I've watched it so many times. So... They did a bit together where, via video chat, the joke was Ashling has written some jokes for Hosier because he writes sad Irish lad songs. So he doesn't and know how all, to be funny. Because he doesn't know how to be funny because he's very sad. And so she wrote him some jokes, and all of the jokes are about his giant dick. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a five-minute-long video of Hosier and Ashling B talking, and, like, two minutes of it is just dick jokes. And, ugh... Now you just think I think I wished dick. it into existence. Yeah. <laughs> like I think I just dreamt hard enough of loving Ashling B and loving Hosier so much, and I'm just like a, a dream in which Hosier will talk about his dick. And then also I love Ashling B, so my brain just fused those two things together, and then it's just amazing. So good. Anyway, so I've become too powerful. I've wished some things into existence. So I'm gonna wish. A cure for COVID into existence. Yes. And then we can all leave our houses. Yes. Stay safe, you I was going to say, like, you and I, when are we ever going to record in our podsment again? Maybe someday. Maybe someday. We just don't know. We sure don't. But it's okay, because I still get to look at your face weekly. And, as a bonus, you also get to look at my hosier poster. I do get to look at hosier know, poster. We all know is the real appeal of my room. What are we talking about today, Sasha? Ancient Greece. And Greek yes. mythology spoopiness. And if you're worried, that means I'm not going to be able to talk about Hosier anymore. Then you're wrong. <laughs> you're incorrect. You're very wrong. Everything is related about... to Hosier. Yeah. I can do six degrees of Kevin Bacon, but instead of Kevin Bacon, it's Hosier. <laughs> Seriously. Send me something. I'll make it work. What you didn't hear was me and Sasha just, like, deeply fangirling. I've been watching my fiancé, Jack, play lots and lots of Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And for the most, like, most of it has been, like, just a lot of, like, ancient Greek stuff, like, historic mm -hmm. stuff. And, like, you see, like, Pericles and Sophocles. And, like, you, the, like 
actual ancient Greek people. And then there's a lot of, like, killing Athenian soldiers and fighting Spartans and whatever. And at one point I was like, do you ever, like, fight anything, like, mythological? Because I know that Assassin's Creed games are usually not myth it's mostly just assassinating people but in odyssey because a lot of it is rooted in greek mythology they do he did this whole sequence on storyline on the minotaur and like finding this guy who was pretending to be the minotaur while like this cult members actually like killed the people who went in to like try to find the minotaur it was just like a skinny dude wearing cow mask going fear my woo (laughs) but then as it turns out his daughter was kidnapped by the cultists and they need to go rescue her and then while they're like venturing home the main character finds this kid who's like oh my dad was actually killed by the minotaur and she goes no I think that was fake and she goes no he was killed here in the labyrinth and she goes what labyrinth and so then they find the labyrinth and you actually have to fight the actual minotaur and so I've had a lot of Greek stuff on my mind and so my monsters are all monsters that I asked Jack about, like, hey, who have you fought in this video game? That would be interesting to research. Just frantically taking notes. And I will say that part of the reason why we haven't done Greek mythology up until this point is my own snobbery, because I was like going into this episode and for a while I'm like, everybody knows about Greek mythology. Like Greek if you know about a mythology, it's gonna be Greek mythology. Like everybody knows about Zeus and Hera and Apollo and Athena and Artemis. Like everybody knows about these Greek gods and goddesses, whatever, ho hum, people are gonna be super bored listening to us. And then my page a day Jeopardy calendar had a category about women and myth and all all of the clues were about either Roman or Greek mythology. And none of my coworkers knew any of it. And it wasn't, like, hard. It was just pretty standard, like, knowing shit. And I was like, oh, maybe everybody doesn't know Greek mythology. Yeah. So my apologies for assuming I, we all do. I, I will say, as someone who has taught Homer's Odyssey to ninth graders, yeah. let me tell you, tonight is the night that I learned that Heracles and Hercules are the same guy. <laughs> Yeah, they sure they are. They sure are. And I asked Jack, I was like, do you know the difference between Heracles and Hercules? He's like, yeah, one's Greek and one's Roman. And I was like, well, I sure didn't. <laughs> yeah, like, part of it is, like, in fifth grade, we did a Greek mythology unit at the school I was going to, and I went, like, hard yeah. on Greek mythology. Like, that, the Egyptian unit and the Mesopotamian unit, defined a lot about my personality to this day. But, like... After that mythology unit was done, I was like, this is not enough. So I, like, read the Odyssey mm. and I, like, sought out all of this Greek mythology. And I just assumed that everybody yeah. else had the Greek mythology unit in school and then also nerded out That's about so it. That's so funny. Which, when you give, like, two seconds of thought to it, of course they didn't, Courtney. Like I was going to say, we did ancient little civilizations nerd. in third grade. And what mm-hmm. grabbed me was ancient Egypt. Yeah. So, I loved ancient Egypt, yeah. too. Like, I've, I've spoken before but about also, my I was very Hatshepsut, little. But, <laughs> so I, yes. none of it has stuck. <laughs> That's fine. But my favorite thing, talking to Jack about all of this, was him saying, as I told him, like, the origins of the Minotaur, he was like, all of the ancient Greek mythology is just, like, this keeping up with the Kardashians bullshit that I just can't keep up with. I mean, yeah, that's like, like, I make a couple jokes in my notes that I don't want to spoil, but yeah, a lot of people were boning gods in Greek mythology And animals, and gods in the form of animals. Let's just bone was, like, this... In short, horny, Greek mythology was like, you want to bone? People. Yeah. So, so, 
All right, so I'm going to start out with Medusa, and all of my research for my four creatures came from either Ancient History Encyclopedia, which is ancient.eu, ancientorigins.net, uh, greekmythology.com, wikipedia, explorecrete.com, their tourism site, Ooh. and also the mythology wikia. I I gotta say, every time one of my sources is somebody's tourism website, I'm like, I love this. Right. I want to be friends with whoever designed this website. Good on you, tourism board. Respect. Yeah. Thank you for <laughs> embracing your your weirdness. You, you understand yes, us. <laughs> exactly. So Medusa was one of three ser- sisters born to Phorcys and Ceto, known as the Gorgons. According to Kisioid's Theogony, the Gorgons were the sisters of the Graii and lived in the utmost place towards the night by Hesperides beyond Oceanus. Later authors like Herodotus and Posnius basically place the Gorgons living in modern-day Libya. And so to give you some like geographical context of like ancient Greek lands and all that. So the Gorgon mm-hmm. sisters were Steno, Uriale, and Medusa. And Medusa was the only mortal. Both of her sisters were immortal. Oh. Basically, there is little mention of the Gorgons as a group beyond just that they were born, they existed. But Medusa has mm-hmm. had several myths about her life and death. And the most famous of these myths are her death and demise by Hesioid in Theogony. And he recounts how Perseus cut off the head of Medusa, and from her blood came uh, Chrysaur and Pegasus. And Chrysaur is a giant, oh. golden giant, and Pegasus is the white horse Wind with the horse. wings. Yeah. So Gorgon derives from the ancient Re- Gre- Greek word gorgos, meaning fierce, terrible, and grim. So can you Same. imagine being these sisters called the Gorgons, and you are just fierce, <laughs> terrible, and grim? That's, oh my god. (laughs) That's a 2020 mood. Right? And then each of the sisters' names have a particular meaning to kind of describe how monstrous they are. Steno name comes from the ancient Greek steno, and it's translated as strength, might, or force. And it's related also to the Greek word stenos. Ural is, uh, or Urali is derived from the ancient Greek every aeli, meaning broad, wide stepping, or wide threshing. Or it could also mean of the wide, briny sea. She is the daughter of ancient sea deities Phorcys and Cedo, so this kind of makes sense for her monstrousness. And then Medusa's name comes from the ancient Greek verb meadow, which is translated to guard or protect. And then if you think about this, her name is extremely fitting because. The Gorgon's head is what's represented on Athena's shield. So basically Medusa is the thing that protects Athena. So hmm. there is question about like why does she get cursed in the first place? Hesioid only really talks about like his uh, her death at the hands of Perseus. Mm-hmm. But if you look for like Ovid's Metamorphoses, he describes Medusa as originally being a beautiful maiden and her beauty had caught the eye of Poseidon who desired her and proceeded to ravage her in Athena's shrine. Because remember a lot of the Greek men gods are very uh Grabby, grabby. Athena discovered the sea god had ravaged Medusa in her shrine, and she sought vengeance by transforming Medusa's hair into snakes so that anyone who gazed at her directly would be turned into stone. Thus, the description of Medusa changed from one of an alluring lady, as Ovid describes her. Medusa once had charms. To gain her love, a rival crowd of envious lovers uh, lovers, uh, strove. They who have seen her own they ne'er did trace, more moving features in a sweeter face. Yet above all, her length of hair they own, in golden ringlets waved and graceful shone. 
So it goes from that to Virgil being like, in the middle is the Gorgon Medusa, an enormous monster about whom snaky locks twist their hissing mouths, her stares... Uh, her eyes stare malevolently under the base of her chin. The tail's ends of serpents have tied knots. So she goes from this like beautiful golden lady to uh, yeah, she's scary, y'all. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that was a pretty common thing where the gods were like, I don't like this trait about you. I'm going to move it to the other end of the spectrum where it's like the worst. So like, oh, you got pretty hair? Well, it's snakes now. So I hope you're happy. <laughs> it just reminds me of like a hypnotist being like, yeah, you're having a great time. You're having a great time now. Snakes! <laughs> yeah. Everything's <laughs> oh, oh, snakes. And it's like, whoa! Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> no. The myth of Perseus and Medusa started basically with a quest where lots of family drama, someone was supposed to kill someone else saying, okay, we're gonna like lock up the daughter and whatever. Yeah. Basically, trying this man named Polydictes fell in love with Perseus's mother and wished to marry her, but then Perseus was like really protective of his mother, so he thought that Polydictes was dishonorable. So, and he was because Polydictes tried to uh, trick Perseus by holding a large banquet under the pretense of collecting contributions for the marriage of Hippodamia, who tamed horses. He requested that oh. his guests, guests bring horses for their gifts, but Perseus did not have one. When Perseus confessed that he had no gift, he offered any gift the king would name. Polydictes then seized his opportunity to d- disgrace and even get rid of Perseus and asked for the head of the only mortal Gorgon, Medusa. He was like, oh, you don't have a horse? Aww. You know what else would be good? Bringing me Medusa's head. So That just ruined what I'm going to get you for your wedding. <laughs> get me Medusa's head. I was, but now it's not a surprise. Oh, jeez. So what's the point? <laughs> so Medusa, we know, is kind of a formidable foe. We know that her appearance was scary, and also she could render any onlooker into stone. Perseus, with the aid of some divine gifts, did eventually find the Gorgon's cave and slayed Medusa by beheading her. Most authors assert that Perseus was able to behead Medusa with a reflective bronze shield that Athena had given him while the Gorgon slept, and then at the beheading of Medusa, again, Pegasus and Chrysor sprang from her severed neck. And then Medusa's sisters were like, oh, hell no, and they pursued Perseus, but he had a gift um, bestowed to him upon Hades, which was the Helmet of Darkness, and it granted him invisibility. And he also had Pegasus and also winged sandals from Hermes. So he was doing pretty well for himself. So he safely bagged Medusa's head. And on his journey to journey home, he actually stopped in Ethiopia, and oh. where the kingdom of King Cephas and Queen Cassiopeia, Cassiopeia were being tormented by Poseidon's sea monster, Cetus. And so Poseidon's, basically, Poseidon was trying to get revenge on them, and so then Perseus slew that beast, and then won Andromeda's hand, who is Cassiopeia's daughter, and then Uh he used Medusa's head to turn Andromeda's former lover into stone. And then he went home to, or he oh went, decided to like go venture on back home because sure. none of these stories have like a direct, oh, I'm going to go to one place and come back. It's, I'm going yeah. to go to one place and then go to many places after that, right? Here yeah, is Journey. Like, oh, well, since I'm here, I may as well go around the entire fucking world. Right. So he's trying to go home, but he also ran into the Titan Atlas and then he turned him also into stone with Medusa's head after they had some quarrelsome words and he became the Atlas Mountains of North Africa. <laughs> And then he also spilled some of Medusa's head blood on the earth, which became Libyan vipers. Oh, <laughs> so, okay. And they ca- killed the Argonaut Mospos. Okay, eventually Oops. 
he did get home to his mother, and she was safe from Polydectes' advances, but per- uh, Perseus was still pissed off at Polydectes for his trickery. So sure. Perseus avenged himself by turning Polydectes and his court into stone with Medusa's head. And then he I mean, gave, that's fair. Yeah. And then he gave <laughs> his, the kingdom away to someone else, and then Perseus gave the head to Athena, who then adorned her shield and breastplate with it. So he was like, yeah, I think I've done enough with this, so here you go, Athena. Yeah. I'm done with this now. You can have it. Yeah. But I feel like if you send somebody on a mission to get Medusa's head and expect them not to turn you into stone. Right. I feel like. That was like a gotta, hubris like, on his part. Yeah. Like, come on. Once you have a thing that turns people into stone, obviously all you're going to be doing is turning people into right. stone. And if you're like, oh, hey, guy, will you go get me this thing that'll turn people into stone so I can turn them into stone? There's a good chance that that guy will be like, yeah, I'm going to turn you into stone. <laughs> Yeah, what if I just cut out the middleman and turn you into stone? Right. I'd like that plan a lot better. <laughs> yeah. That's, also, that's I got to marry Andromeda. Like. Yeah, so suck it, loser. <laughs> <laughs> All right, are you ready to hear one of my obscure, semi-spooky Greek myths? I am. Okay, so all of my myths came from screencraft.org. Genuinely, it was like a listicle of like, here are some lesser known Greek myths that are kind of spooky and entertaining to base your screenplay off of. <laughs> so screencraft.org, <laughs> Ranker, 22words.com, Wikipedia, History Today, Britannica.com, and GreekLegendsAndMyths.com. So this is the legend of Orpheus and Eurydice. And personally, I'd never thought of Orpheus and Eurydice as being a particularly spooky Greek myth. But if you think about it, it kind of is. So we'll, we'll get into that. It's also definitely on the lesser known side of the Greek myth spectrum. Mm -hmm. So, like, you can have a decent understanding of Greek mythology and still not have heard Orpheus and Eurydice. So, Mm -hmm. let's do this. It's going to be fun and new for everyone. Yay! (laughs) And even if it isn't, isn't, it's hopefully still fun. Yep. So, Orpheus was the son of Apollo, who is the god of oracles, healing, archery, music and the arts, sunlight, so on and so forth. He was a god of a whole bunch of shit. Pretty cool. And the muse Calliope. Mm -hmm. So... Apollo plus Calliope equals Orpheus. Orpheus was a liar player by trade, and he was exceptional at it. Mm. On a previous adventure with the Argonauts, Orpheus saved the team by playing his lyre over the Song of the Sirens, and the lure of the lyre was greater than that of the Sirens. Wow, good for him. Which is incredible, because like yeah. the Sirens' whole thing is like, once you hear it, game over. That's all you want. Yeah. But Orpheus is like, how about I strum this lyre? And they're like, no, we're good I here. I like that a lot better. <laughs> yeah, they're like, you know what? This is my jam. Yeah. Nothing on earth could resist Orpheus's music once he started strumming. Like, it's said that both man and beast, enemies alike, once you hear his lyre, you're like, I'm in, I love you, this is great. So is Hosier Orpheus reincarnated? Interesting theory. (laughs) And no, because we've been over this. He's a very elder god that we found in a bog, who was possibly cursed to immortality by Florence Welch of Florence and the Machine. But can't those two (laughs) things be true? Yes, yeah. Although, we'll get into what happens to Orpheus, so <laughs> maybe he can't be reincarnated. Okay. Um, so. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We'll get into it. And we'll, we'll get into the hosier connection with Orpheus in particular in a second. Ooh. So, Orpheus met and fell in love with Eurydice, mm-hmm. and their wedding day was all set to be a happy one when tragedy befell them. Depending on what version of the story you hear. So, <laughs> I didn't look into what this person was the god of, but... Apparently, like, the god Hymen (laughs) came and was like, "Uh uh-oh, tragedy's coming for you guys. Anyway, happy wedding. And they were like, 
I'm sorry, what? Sorry, what? (laughs) (laughs) And so then either like on the wedding or shortly after the wedding, Eurydice was bitten by a viper or she fell prey to some classic toxic masculinity. Not by Orpheus. Uh, Orpheus seems legit. So don't, don't worry about Orpheus. He seems cool. In the former, she's bitten by a venomous snake and dies right away. Pretty straightforward. In the latter, she is spending some time with the nymphs a few days after her wedding. As they party in the woods, a shepherd spots Eurydice and instantly falls in love with her. Eurydice, being a newlywed and not interested, is like, no thanks. I'm not into it. Also, I'm married. There's a ring on this finger, even though I don't think we did this back in the day because that's a relatively new convention to indicate that women are property. But whatever. I'm not into it. See yourself out, sir. But in classic terrible manness, the shepherd presses his suit and starts to follow Eurydice, being like, hey, 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 you still married? You want to no. go out sometime? Hey, yo, girl, sup? And so Eurydice finally ran away because she's like, fuck this shit. So she started running and still the shepherd followed her. <sighs> And so while he was pursuing her, she either was looking back to see where he was and tripped over a rock and died. Oh, no. maybe he killed her. Or maybe a snake bit her while she was running through the woods. But anyway, she ends up dead. Very sad. And, Toxic masculinity rears its ugly head again. uh, Yeah, I put, I put, in one version, we remember that men are terrible and need to learn to respect the word no. Yeah. So, let that be a lesson to all of us. Right. When Orpheus found out, he was understandably devastated that his wife of, like, three days was now dead. He started to play his grief out via his lyre, but it wasn't enough. He was still really sad. So then he came up with a plan. He grabbed his lyre, and he decided to venture down to the underworld and try and bring his beloved Eurydice back to the realm of the living. There is a version of the myth where this is possible because Orpheus had the protection of the gods, likely due to a past liar-related incident or maybe because his dad was the god Apollo. Either Mm -hmm. way, the gods had his back, so as a living person, he was able to go down to the underworld. But first, he bartered his way onto the ferry to cross the river Styx by playing for Charon? Karen? Mm-hmm. I don't I don't remember how you say yeah. it. C-H-A-R-O-N. Yeah. So once he crossed the river Styx, because, you know, he played his lyre, and Charon was like, holler. Yeah. Love that tune. Let's pump up those jams, boy. Get on my ferry. So he goes across the river. Then he comes across Cerberus, the vicious three-headed dog who guards the gates of the underworld. Once again, plays the lyre. Cerberus calms right down, doesn't attack him. Cerberus is like, we chill. We chill. You do what I'm you a good need dog. Do. I like music. Yeah, Cerberus is like, bork, bork, bork. Play that one again. I love it. He's like that dog Maple from the Instagram videos. Yes. Yeah, who helps play the guitar or plays the drums. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it turns Cerberus into that. (laughs) Finally, Orpheus made it to the underworld, and it was clearly the wintertime because Hades was not alone. His wife slash kidnap victim Persephone was with him. If you're not aware, Persephone was Hades' niece, Mm -hmm. and... Because she was the daughter of Demeter, Demeter, the Mm -hmm. harvest goddess, and Hades kidnapped her and was like, you have to be my wife. And her mom was like, don't worry about it. I can get you out of it. Just don't eat anything while you're down there. But Persephone was tricked and she ate pomegranate seeds and now she has to go back down there once a year. And that's why we have winter because Demeter is sad. And so she's like, everything dies because I'm sad. Anyway, it was wintertime. Hades and Persephone were there. Whatever. Greek mythology, am I right? Yeah. Orpheus explained his situation, blah, 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 my beloved died, blah, 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 I travel all the way down here, blah, 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 check out my cool liar, and 
Sure enough, he played a tune, and Hades and Persephone were like, let's do this. Hundo P. Hundo P, we love you. Yeah. So Hades decided, because Orpheus had so charmed him, to cut him a deal. Mm -hmm. Both Orpheus and Eurydice would be allowed to return to the overworld and resume their lives on one condition. Orpheus would have to lead his wife out of the underworld and never look back at her (gasps) until they were safely in the land of the light. I know the story. Yep. yep, this is where it's like, uh-oh. Uh-oh. But Orpheus was thrilled. He was like, this is great. I get back my lady love. It's one super easy rule. I can totally do this. I was expecting some, like, Herculean task, but this is super chill. So he praised the gods, thanked them, and started to make his way back up to the surface. Orpheus was out front, and the spirit, soon to be human again, of Eurydice was behind him. But with each step, Orpheus started to worry all he can hear are the cries of the damned and the spooky beings around him. He can't hear Eurydice's footsteps. So as they slowly but surely make their way up towards the surface and closer and closer to the light, Orpheus was seized with doubt. What if Hades, being not a great dude who in fact kidnapped his own wife slash niece, mm-hmm. was actually playing a trick on Orpheus and never intended for him to rescue his wife. What if instead it was all a gambit to get Orpheus stuck in the afterlife and even more consumed in grief? Mm. And these doubts grew louder and louder until Orpheus was only a few steps away from being out of the underworld. With light on his face, Orpheus lost his faith and turned around just to see that, yes, the spirit of Eurydice had been following him. She was now being whisked back to the realm of the dead for the rest of eternity. Oops. Oops. Damn it. Orpheus, realizing his error, immediately tried to get back into the underworld to try and reinstate the bargain and get his wife back, being like, oh my god, I gotta get back down there. Hades, my bad. This time, I promise, I'll just walk her right out and I promise I won't look back at her. Let's just, real quick, do over. But rules are rules, and the living can only enter the realm of Hades once while they're alive. The next journey must be made when they've kicked the bucket, so he can't go back down there to get it. Orpheus was now overcome with the permanence of his grief and the knowledge that he had done this. He could have had his wife back, but he lost his faith at the last second and turned around, and now he's doomed to a life without her. That's so tragic. Once again, he pulled out his lyre, and this is, like, I mean, it's kind of spooky the whole way, because he does go to the land of the underworld as a living dude, and it's pretty spooky to walk your way out by yourself and be told, don't you look back, mister. Yeah. But, so he starts to play a mournful song on his lyre, and he even begged for death while he was singing so that he could be reunited with his beloved Eurydice and beg for her forgiveness. And then there are two versions of what happened next. Either beasts came, because remember, no beast can resist the call of his lyre, and then complied with his request, and tore him limb from limb, or actually there's three versions. So, Beast came, tore him limb from limb. Zeus, concerned that Orpheus would tell the living the secrets of the underworld, struck him down with a bolt of lightning, thus killing him. Yeah. Or, in his travels around with his sad song, and this is the most gruesome one, it's kind of rough, he came across the Maenads, who were the female followers of Dionysus, the god of wine, Uh so party party all the time. Unfortunately for Orpheus, or fortunately depending on how you want to look at it, the Maenads have a reputation of being ravenous and perpetually in an ecstatic frenzy from the booze and dancing with Dionysus. They propositioned the mournful Orpheus, but he was like, mourning my dead wife, guys. Read the room. No, thank you. And they weren't really cool with his rejection, so they tore him to shreds. 
So regardless of the version you hear, Orpheus ended up dead and thus reunited with Eurydice after all. And as a weird footnote, the muses decided to cut off Orpheus's head, enchant it, and then they left it to sing at the living forever. So I don't know if he can't be reincarnated. He's missing a head. He is missing a head. <laughs> and so where, where my beloved Bogman comes into this, if you've heard the song Talk by Hosier, which is off of his latest album, huh. some good shit. Good shit. But Yeah. So that's Orpheus and Eurydice. It's overall mostly just sad. It's not really spooky, yeah. but I mean, traveling through the underworld, it's pretty much a bummer. And he dies real violently, so. Yeah. I'll, I'll try to bring us up. The, the, next, the next part is going to be about the Minotaur, and the Minotaur is pretty fucked up. Backstory. It's backstory time, because <laughs> when, when I asked Jack, I was like, do you know how the Minotaur came to play? He was like, I don't know, did Zeus fuck a cow? And I was like, Probably. yes, but not for this. <laughs> so Zeus in the form of a bull, <laughs> this oh, is going to come back, this one. brought Europa from the Phoenician seashore to Gordy's in Crete, where he made love with her under a plane tree, or on the plane tree after assuming <laughs> the form of a, another sacred animal, the eagle, or just around it. Anyway, sidebar, since the plane tree was blessed by these boning people, <laughs> it is evergreen. Oh. So in real well, life, so that's that's, that's the reason good. why that tree is evergreen is because Zeus boned on it. Mommy, mommy, why doesn't that tree grow old and die like all the other trees? Well, son, <laughs> Zeus, is, Zeus feeling is feeling horny, and this is Greece, and then his Greece saved the tree. <laughs> You'll understand so, when you're older. From from their union, three sons were born. Okay, triplets, if you will, and then Zeus. <laughs> that's what those are called. Being like. Well, I am technically already married and a god, so let me arrange a marriage for Europa so she has someone to help her raise these triplets. So Europa is married to the, Crete, the king of Crete, Asterio, who appointed Europa and Zeus's sons as his successors. So instead of being weird about it, he's like, yeah, I'll adopt them. Like, they'll be my sons. Yeah, what a good dude. The opposite of Zeus, king of the yeah. deadbeat dads. Right. So, as promised, the three sons of Europa and Zeus, named Minos, Radamanthus, and Sarpedion, succeeded King Asterion and to the throne of Crete. Uh, initially, they seemed satisfied to co-govern, but Minos, who really wanted to reign ex- exclusively by himself, ended up actually banishing his brothers. Radamanthus was sent to Cyclades, and Sarpedion was sent to Anatolia, which is basically like modern-day Turkey. Minos became the monarch, and he believed that the gods would give him everything and anything he wished. Well, luckily, the gods did actually love Minos because his father, Zeus, honored him above all other, like, illegitimate children. They presented him with... Oh, (laughs) right? Yay! Good for Minos. (laughs) I'm my dad's favorite illegitimate child that he ignored. Yay! (laughs) So so they presented him with a wife named uh, Pasiphae, and she was the daughter of Helios and uh, Persida, and she's also the sister of Circe, the sorceress, and also of Calypso and uh, Eta. So, so she has she's from like good stock basically. Yeah. So together, Minos and Pasiphae had eight children: Androgeos, Catrifs, Defcalion, Glafgos, Akali, Zenodiki, Ariadine, and uh, Phaedra. So eight kids. Happy family. Sure. 
Zeus is your grandpa. Helios is your other grandpa. Like, don't worry great. about it. Yeah, don't worry <laughs> about it. Yeah, the deceased king of Crete is also your brother, uh, your grandpa. Your it's grandpa. like you may not like it, but this is what peak family looks this like. This is what peak family looks like. A bunch of people related to gods. Sure. So once wanting to offer a sacrifice in honor of his uncle Poseidon, Minos asked Poseidon to send the best bull he could find from the sea. Sidebar: I didn't know you could find bulls in the sea. That's the number one place to get them. Yeah. <laughs> I just, it's basically Amazon, but for bulls. For bulls. Is the sea. <laughs> so the bull, also known as the Cretan bull, again from Crete, uh, was so beautiful. This beautiful, white, marble-looking bull. Just so Uh-oh. gorgeous. That Minos didn't want to sacrifice him. So he kept him in the palace gardens and got a different bull and was like, here, sacrifice for my uncle Poseidon. But then Poseidon was like, what the fuck? Like, that's not the bull that I sent you. Either kill the fuckable bull or don't even bother. Right. Like, just, why would, yeah. Like, I, you had one job. Like, the yeah. sacrifice was to honor me. I wanted you to sacrifice this bull. and Yeah, I picked a hottest shit bull for you to sacrifice for me. Right. So, it's my birthday. I get to do what I want. <laughs> so to revenge Minos for not keeping his promise, Poseidon then made the bull so ferocious and dangerous that his eventual capture in Crete actually became one of the 12 feats of Hercules. Hey! Or Heracles, which... I same will, dude. Yeah, same dude. Hercules, Heracles. <laughs> Heracles is Greek. Hercules is Roman and modern sure West. Is. Unfortunately, he also made it sexy. <laughs> so, Pasiphae, his immortal wife, and immortal is key here, because no Don't one would bulls. survive this otherwise. Yeah. She saw the bull and fell in love with sexy Cretan bull. And being incapable of resisting the temptation, she coupled with him. She coupled with him thanks to the help of Daedalus who constructed oh. a wooden likeness of a cow in which Pasiphae hid. So she got in the lady cow Fake suit. Cow. Mm-hmm. And Daedalus did it. Daedalus, bro. Daedalus, when someone comes to you and says, I really want to fuck this bull, your answer should be no. I'm not, <laughs> not going to help you with you. this. But you're on your own, buddy. Yeah. Oh, my God. So Pasiphae gets in the lady likeness cow sure. and, and couples with with the Cretan bull. From this union, the monster Minotaur was born, a humanoid being with a bull's head, and Minos was pissed. (laughs) He was like, fuck this shit, I'm out. (laughs) And uh, promptly jailed the the tiny baby Minotaur in a labyrinth, which is an enormous construction in Nosos, which was also created by Daedalus. So Minos was like, Daedalus, bro, what the fuck? Now you gotta make a like a labyrinth because we need to put this kid somewhere. Daedalus is clearly playing a long game that just gets him more weird inventing jobs because he's like, you know what I love doing? Inventing weird shit. What yep. if I just come up with all of these schemes so that I can invent more weird shit? And you know, I respect him. Yeah, yeah. Play the we long game. We all gotta have a hobby. Look. Yeah. It's like if he, as long as he doesn't get too close. If it's always just commissions, right? It's always just business. Right? As long as he doesn't get too close. To the sun. Ah. Daedalus is the guy who made the wings. Icarus is his son. Yep. Fun fact, Icarus comes up in a different hosier song called Sunlight. That's neither here nor there. Continue. Yes. So (laughs) soon after, the center of the labyrinth became the Minotaur's dark dwelling place. There, the monster was regularly fed with human flesh, specifically Mm. that of 14 young Athenian noble men and women. These were... 
the, these were sent as a sacrifice by the city of Athens to Minos on a yearly basis, or depending on the mythology, um, every nine years. So it's either oh every year or every nine years. Still not great. 14 people no, every but, time. But basically, yeah. it was recompense for the death of his son, Androgeus, the one, one of his eight children, whom yeah. the Athenians had once killed out of jealousy for beating them at the Panathenaic Games. He was like, he beat us in the Olympics, so Let's kill him. we're going to kill him. And then Minos was like, hey, fuck you guys. Send me 14 <laughs> sacrifices every year. Right. I feel like Minos' slogan is king is just, fuck you guys. Yeah, fuck you guys. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's just Minos. Like, yeah. to, his, to his brothers who... Like, sacrificed this bull, and he's like, fuck you guys. I'm right? not going to do it. To his brothers who he banished, he's like, fuck you guys. Fuck you guys. <laughs> and to the Athenians, <laughs> he's Minos. like, hey, fuck you guys especially. <laughs> Vote for Minos. So, fuck you guys 2020. <laughs> <laughs> so eventually, Theseus rolls around. And Theseus is the son of Poseidon and also the successor of King Aegeus of Athens, who is and also the founding hero of Athens. So this guy is like not someone to turn a blind eye to the suffering of his fellow citizens. Theseus sure. is a good guy. Right. So when the time came for the third sacrifice, he volunteered to go to Crete. Fortunately for him, Ariadne, Minos's daughter, one of the eight Again, his her brother was also was killed by the Athenians. I was going to say, one birth. of them that hadn't been killed out of jealousy, yes. Right. <laughs> this Fell is why love. you got to have eight kids. Yeah. yeah. There's there's a lot of kids, right? Yeah. It, things are going on. Three are going to get killed for beating other people at sports. Yeah. It'll be you got to hope the other five make it out. Yeah. So she falls in love with Theseus and decides to help him to the best of her knowledge. She begged Daedalus to tell her the secrets of, secret of the labyrinth until, finally, the master craftsman caved in. At his advice, Ariadne gave Theseus a magical ball of yarn, which then Theseus used to navigate himself inside the structure, comforted by the fact that he will always be able to find his way out. Finally, at the center of the labyrinth, Theseus came across the Minotaur, and after a long and exhausting fight, whether with his bare hands, a club, something, he finally managed to overpower the vicious monster, and finally Crete and Athens were finally freed from basically, like, kowtowing to Minos. Yay! Yay! And, and once again, Daedalus sticks his, like, busybody nose in there and is like, fine, I'll help out, I guess. Take this ball of yarn. To quote The Good Place, he's a messy bench who loves drama. <laughs> 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 We're going to talk about Cro Procrestes, which is a gross-sounding name for a gross-sounding dude. Oh, jeez. So, Procrestes was the son of Poseidon. Addendum, I put in my notes, everyone either had boned a god or was related to a god or sometimes yeah, both in ancient Greek mythology. There's a lot of Poseidon's kids, a lot of Zeus's yeah. kids, like... Yeah. Helios. Everybody... Everyone... Everybody got around. Yeah. So, a lot of people were related, a lot of people had boned him. So mm -hmm. anyway, Procrustes is the son of Poseidon, and he made his living as a bandit. He had set up shop on Mount Korydalos on the sacred way between Athens and Eleusis. His M.O. was to wait for travelers to come by, then offer them a place to stay for the night. He had a bed, after all, so they may as well come and rest. When the weary traveler came in, Procrestes told them, Don't worry, I'm going to make sure that the bed fits you. Or rather, that you fit the bed. How would he do this? Well, if someone was too small for the bed he had, Procrustes would bust out his smith's hammer and stretch the person to fit it. Ah. Obviously, this would kill them. Yeah. If they were too tall, 
he'd get a saw and cut off their arms and legs until they'd fit. This also would kill them. He killed a whole bunch of people this way before being stopped by Theseus of and the Minotaur fame, and also, technically, his half-brother, because I did not know that Theseus was Poseidon's kid, so Theseus is about to fuck some shit up for his half-brother. Yeah. Anyway, Theseus tricked Procrustes into agreeing to fit his own bed, at which point Theseus busted out the hammer and killed him. Hooray! Hooray! And it inspired the term Procrustean bed, which means an arbitrary standard to which conformity is enforced. Ah. Yikes. So there's an Edgar Allan Poe story called, what was it? I think the Purloined Letter, yep. where they somebody mentions the Procrustean bed. And that's what a Procrustean bed is. If you oh. did not know, it's because this dude was cutting people up to stick them in bed and or stretching them to stick them in bed. Not great. But also, have, society. <laughs> not great. <laughs> we, we live in a society that isn't great. Mm-mm. So then there's another bandit with a weird strategy who maybe meets his end because of Theseus. This one is called Siron. Siron uh-huh. would camp out on the Cyronian rocks. I should have looked up that one, but I didn't. <laughs> That's fine. And he would wait for people to come by. When they did, he would pretend to be feeble and ask for help washing his feet. I didn't think it needed to be said, but if you come across a stranger on the road who says, can you please help me wash my feet? You say no and keep walking. <laughs> Like, sorry, you're on your own with foot hygiene. When people would bend down to help him, Siron would be like, ha ha, and kick them in the face, which would knock them into the sea. And did I mention that his camp was at the top of a cliff? Oh, no. What the fuck? That's not a fun prank. Yeah, again, if someone says, can you help me wash my feet? No, I can't. Guess you're just going to have dirty feet, you motherfucker. If the unexpected cliff dive didn't kill the unfortunate victim, don't worry. There was a turtle at the base of the cliff that loved human flesh. Oh, great. So if they survived the cliff dive and they were like, whew, that was a close one. Can't believe that dude just kicked me in the fucking face off a cliff. Then this turtle would roll up and be like, om nom 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 nom, and then they would die. I'm just thinking of like, (laughs) poor, like, I'm not, I'm not religious in any sense, but like, if Jesus came along and saw this man who was like, can you please help me wash my feet? Jesus would, Jesus be, like, would be like, of course. I totally would, bro. Yeah, I totally would. And then would. this dude would be like, kick. Like, you just <laughs> kicked Jesus be, into the sea. <laughs> what are the you Bible doing? The Bible would be very different. <laughs> oh, my God. Over and over and over, he pulled this move, yeeting people into the ocean until one day Theseus got involved because he was like, enough, bro. This is Again, too fucking Again, Theseus much. can't turn his back on people who are suffering. Uh, Yeah, and I would say these people are suffering. They're getting yeeted into the sea where, best case scenario, a turtle eats them. Yeah, not great. No. So after a brief fight, Theseus was the one doing the yeeting, so he yeeted Siron into the sea, and Siron met his end in the very sea to which he had doomed so many. Comes full circle. Thanks, Theseus. (laughs) So my last creature is the Nemean lion, who is a legendary creature in Greek mythology that basically ravaged the area of Nemea. Hence, Nemean. Mm-hmm. Its fur was impenetrable by the weapons of humans and then became unstoppable. It was considered to be the child of Typhon and Echinachigna. Echidna? They're Echidna. Echinacea? No, not Echinacea. No. Of Typhon and Echidna, father and mother of all monsters. Other accounts mention Zeus and Selene as its parents. So, could be one of Zeus's illegitimate animal love children. If you're in a Greek myth, you have either boned Zeus or are born because of Zeus boning. So yeah. 
So, the slain the Nemean lion was the first task that King Eurystheus asked the demigod Heracles or Hercules. I'm just going to say Heracles from here on out. During the myth of the 12 labors of Heracles. One fun fact, the King Eurystheus was actually Heracles' cousin. So, weird. Okay. Small world. Small world. (laughs) One version has it that the lion kidnapped women from Nemea and kept them in its lair in order to lure warriors. When the brave warrior would see the women, they would turn into a lion and kill him. Oh. So... Not fun. Okay. (laughs) So off Heracles went, wandering until he came to the town of Cleone. There he met a boy who said that if Heracles slew the Nemean lion and returned alive within 30 days, the town would sacrifice a different lion to Zeus. But if he did not return within 30 days, or if he died, the boy would sacrifice himself to Zeus. That's a very big bet to make. That's a weird bet to make. Yeah. It's either that you really believe in Heracles that much, or... You society wants you to <laughs> sacrifice yourself for Zeus. So. It's we live in a society. We live in a society. It's an ancient <laughs> Greek society. It's fine. <laughs> Another version claims that he met Molokros, who is a shepherd who had lost his son to the lion, and said that if he came back within thirty days, a ram would be sacrificed to Zeus. If he did not return to within thirty days, the ram would be then sacrificed to a dead Heracles as a mourning offering. Oh so my in that God. situation, What's with this town and fucking sacrificing stuff. Yeah, but at least, yeah, it, at least it wasn't like the old man was like, "I'll sacrifice myself to you." Yeah, like he's like, "I'll just sacrifice this other ram." Yeah, that's fine. It's not going to be as fuckable of a ram. I know you. I, I'm sure you've heard about the thing where there was the fuckable bull. Yeah, you heard about Minos and his Minotaur. Yeah, yeah. yeah this is going to be on the like less fuckable end of the spectrum. Don't worry about. It. Still a good ram, but just less fuckable. Just not as good. So, while searching for the lion, Heracles fetched some arrows to use against it, not knowing that its golden fur was impenetrable. When he found Oops. the lion and shot at it with his bow, he discovered that the fur's protective he discovered the fur's protective prop- property when the arrow bounced harmlessly off of the creature's thigh, which is like boing, <laughs> ping. <laughs> <laughs> After some time, Heracles made the lion return to his cave. The cave had two entrances, one of which Heracles blocked. He then entered the other. In those dark and close quarters, Heracles stunned the beast with his club, and during the fight, the lion bit off one of his fingers. <laughs> he eventually killed the lion by strangling it with his bare hands, which are also probably profusely bleeding because he lost a because finger. Because he lost one. Do we know which finger he lost? No. Not in this telling of it. That would suck. I, I guess they're all equally important when you're strangling a lion. Yeah. I've never strangled a lion or had my finger bitten off, but I would imagine they're all, they yeah. all play a part. Yeah. It's hard. So after slaying the lion, he tried to skin it with a knife from his belt, but failed, because again, this fur is impenetrable, right? Right. He then tried sharpening this knife with a stone and even tried it with the stone itself, like, just, like, bashing it in, trying to create some kind of wound. (laughs) That's when he's been, like, working at it for, like, 40 minutes, and he's like, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, he's just gonna, like, yeet the lion and be like, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, where it's like, I don't care anymore. Yeah, like, this is too hard. So finally, of all people... Athena is oh. like, hey, I I noticed that you're having trouble with this. Let me help you. How about you try to use one of the lion's own claws to skin the pelt? And that worked. <laughs> it's like it's like when you're watching someone put together a piece of furniture, or just do something you know how to do, and they're like, I don't need your help. I can do it myself. Yeah. And you're watching them trying, and you're like, and failing, I just I want to help you. Like, 
Just, just let me, just let me help. So you. Athena just, was finally like, "Hey, have you considered using one of his own claws?" <laughs> yeah, Athena was like, "We cannot. We're up on Mount Olympus watching this, and we cannot fucking take it anymore. Yeah, just use the claw, just bro. Just use the claw." <laughs> so he returned on the thirtieth day, really, just like yeah, just that, right on the wire. right on the wire. Carrying the battle, this lion for twenty eight days, or did was he just slow? At, like he spent weeks trying to skin it. I have no idea. Or he couldn't find it. Or I don't know. Maybe. I don't yeah. Know. He forgot where the town was. Or it took a while to to like cover the second entrance to the cave or something. I don't uh, know. So he returned to town on the thirtieth day, carrying the carcass of the lion on his shoulders. King Eurystheus was amazed and also terrified. Eurytheus forbade him ever again to enter the city because in the future he was to display the fruits of his labors outside the gates. Because <laughs> probably he's covered in his own blood. His fingers probably all like infected because I don't think yeah. he got any medical treatment for whatever got bitten off. And he's dragging this like carcass. Yeah. And also like these 12 <laughs> labors, he's probably like hoping that like Heracles is going to fall. Yeah, you know. he's going to fail at one he's, of them. He's, like, sending him on a fool's errand, and then the yeah. fool shows up with the errand done. Yeah, he's, like, everybody just, like, really hates his collar, him. Like, oh, is it hot in here? Yeah, yeah. everybody just hates him, and they're like, okay, this is going to be the one that kills him, right? Because yeah. we're, we're sick of this guy, and, like, we can't keep sacrificing our most fuckable animals. Right. We gotta and he leave does, some of them. He does go, and he kills that bull, right? The yeah. Cretan bull. He does go and overtake it at some point. All right, I'm going to close this out with... Your Sikthon of Thessaly. You ready for this guy? I am ready this for this guy. This guy has a really unfortunate fate. I don't like it. I think I've mentioned before that I really don't like hungry ghosts in Buddhism either. Uh-huh. And this is similar principle. Okay. So I don't love it. But that's fine. So Ersikthon, also known as Athon, was a king of Thessaly who made some bad choices in his life. Chief among them... He started beef with Demeter, the goddess of the harvest. If you're going to fuck with somebody, don't fuck with the person feeding you. Yeah, maybe not. Not a good look, yeah. bro. No. Also, I don't, I, I mean, I'm not, you know, an expert in Demeter lore, but, like, I'm pretty sure she doesn't start a lot of shit with people. No. I think she kind of just mines her beeswax and, I, like, tends to her plants. I did research on Demeter in elementary school, and she's just very nice. Yeah, like... In fifth grade, we had to pick a goddess or god to be, and I was Demeter. That's and, so like, funny. everything I read was like, she's just pretty chill. She's kind of sad that her daughter got fucking kidnapped what by her brother. What are the odds brother. that you and I picked the same god? <laughs> I mean, we did. We picked Demeter. Yeah. What are Amazing. the odds? <laughs> Soul sisters. That's us. Yeah, that's us. Anyway, so Demeter mostly mines her beeswax, literally and figuratively. I imagine she's the type of god who raises bees. Right. But, you know, everybody sucks. Sometimes. So, Erisichthon lived in a homestead overlooking a grove. The grove was beloved by Demeter, who felt very strongly about trees in general, mm-hmm. but especially held the mighty oak at the heart of the grove sacred. So maybe just leave the trees alone, bro. Yeah. She, she really likes those trees. Just leave, leave those trees alone. Nope. Erisichthon, in the tradition of mediocre men everywhere, decided it was more important to build a banquet hall onto his home slash castle than it was to leave the trees as is. And so he ordered his men to cut the grove down. They took axes and one by one cut every single tree to the ground. And then Demeter came down and yeeted him. Well. Well. They got to the sacred oak at the center of the grove. Whoopsies, said the men. Looks like this oak is beloved by Demeter. You can tell because there's votive wreaths on it, indicative of prayers she has granted. We're not cutting this tree down, bro. 
And Erisichthon, doubling down on his mediocrity and terribleness, refused to listen to the men and was like, if you're not going to do it, I will. And so he grabbed an axe and he cut the tree down himself. Unfortunately, in so doing, Erisichthon killed the dryad who lived in the tree. Oh, no. And with her dying breath, she cursed him. The other dryads got wind of this and they're a very close-knit group. Mm -hmm. So they went to explain to Demeter what had happened and Demeter was furious. She's like, I just wanted to sit here and tend to my fucking plants and now I gotta deal with this asshole. Fine. So she came up with the perfect punishment for a man who killed her grove for his banquet hall. Mm -hmm. First, she summoned Lemos, the spirit of unrelenting and insatiable hunger, and (gasps) asked for a favor, one that Lemos was happy to grant. The curse was thus. Lemos would take up residence in Erisichthon's stomach, dooming him to a life of endless and eternal hunger. And from that first morning when Erisichthon woke up with her inside of him, he was starving. He ate and he ate at banquet after banquet, but it was never enough. In fact, the more he ate, the more he craved food. Eventually, his, even his kingly wealth could not keep up with his quantity of hunger, and so he had to keep selling his possessions to buy more food, which then only made the hunger worse. Still, he was hungry. Even in sleep, he couldn't get any relief because Demeter sent demons to give him nightmares of food. Oh, so, my God. Spending every waking and sleeping hour just starving. When all the possessions were gone, all the mules and horses had been eaten, and Erisichthon had nowhere else to turn, he sold his own daughter, Mistra. Oh, God. I thought you were going to be like, he started eating himself. We're going to Chekhov's gun the concept of eating yourself. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) So, Mistra, obviously extremely upset at having been sold to some random dude so her dad could keep endlessly eating, reached out to her former lover, Poseidon. Remember the rule. In ancient Greece, everybody has either boned a god or is related to one. In her case, she'd boned Poseidon. So, anyway. So she turned to her godly ex and begged him for help. Poseidon granted Mistra the ability to shapeshift so she could turn into any creature at will and escape from her bondage. This is a really creative solution to this problem because I would have just been like, okay, you're free and like used my god powers to like transport her somewhere else. Yeah. But he's like, you can now shapeshift. Figure it out, babe. That's that's actually pretty cool. <laughs> it's it's really cool. Unfortunately, this very creative solution is one that her voracious father could exploit. Time and time again, Erisichthon sold her in different forms to different people to keep getting money. So sometimes she was a horse that he would sell, or a cow, Uh. or a goat. And every time she would get out of it because she could just shapeshift back into herself or into something else. Why does she keep ending up at her dad's place? I mean, it's really hard to cut off a toxic parent, so, you know, she's not ready to break the cycle just yet. There's gotta be a point in the cycle where she's like, oh, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, like, fuck this. So, or go live with her ex-boyfriend Poseidon. Go lay low with him. You can, haven't you seen how many sexy bulls are in the ocean? Go to the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> so Erisichthon just keeps selling his daughter over and over and over and over again. And still, the hunger persists. Everything he eats makes it worse, but he just can't stop trying. One night, the hunger was so bad that Erisichthon began to eat himself. And that is how he died. He ate the flesh from his own bones. I was worried that he was also going to eat his daughter if she no. came back as a horse. 
Nope. So the good news is, like, he started eating himself, and then, the, like, he started doing it in the middle of the night, and the next morning he had vanished because he had fully eaten himself. Don't think about the physics of it too much. Yeah, I'm but not going to think about the physics too much. That's a fucking grim one. And, like, oh, God. Don't fuck with Demeter. If somebody just wants to be quiet and garden, just let them garden. Yeah. Just just leave it be. Leave Damn. the trees alone. Fuck that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, like there's been a lot of toxic masculinity in this hour. Yeah. But I mean, the bright side, this toxic masculinity was punished. Yeah. So that oh, is man. our ancient Greek mythology hour. Yep. We're going to have to come back to this. This yeah. is reawoken nine-year-old me's love of Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. Especially since I didn't get Cyclops. More. There's like so yeah. much more to like still delve into. We barely touched on Circe and she turned men into pigs. Like. That's so oh dope. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we're gonna have to come back to Greece. Actually, but hopefully just, you enjoyed this. Speaking speaking of Cersei, and also speaking of like eating so much, yes. the Simpsons version of Homer's Odyssey, in mm-hmm. which Cersei turns all of the men into pigs, and mm-hmm. then Homer as as Odysseus eats all of the pigs, and he's like, "What happened to my crew? What happened to all my friends?" And she's like, "You <laughs> ate them." He was like, "No." And she goes, I've been telling you since the first pig that you ate. <laughs> Basically, like, she's been telling him the entire time, why didn't you, you just... stop me? And she's like, I did. I tried. I tried. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, how like men. How like men. <laughs> so if you have a favorite Greek myth or Greek monster that we didn't cover, or you have a story you want us to cover when we inevitably do a part two of this episode mm-hmm. someday... Email spoopour at gmail.com. Reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram at spoopour. We are happy to cover what you want us to cover, especially if it's Greek mythology. Right? God damn, I love it. Hell yeah. I just, ugh, I'm just thinking about it, and I just, I'm so happy. <laughs> so email us, reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram. Have a great time. Yep. Don't cut trees down. Stay away from Be beautiful safe. bulls. Just, if you think, I want to fuck that bull, just don't. Just don't. Like, take a leaf, haha, out of Demeter's book, uh-huh. and just garden instead. Yep. Just tend to your plants. Hey there, it's Allison Carter. I'm the host of the podcast, Not Your Little Lady. Each episode features a woman living in the South outside of socially accepted norms. Listen and relate as these women share stories about obstacles they faced and how it feels to come out on the other side. We talk about things that pissed us off, the booze we like to drink, and historical women who have made a difference. Through all this, we explore the importance of women owning their past, present, and future while keeping it light and funny. You can find episodes, which are released every other Wednesday, on most podcast listening apps or at notyourlittlelady.com. Be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at ladiesofnyll and on Facebook and Instagram at notyourlittlelady. Happy listening, y'all!